Jason, will you come pray with us? Good morning. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The world is, and the earth is full of your glory, and we acknowledge that, and thank you for the beauty of our world and the beauty of the morning. And as we gather today, I pray that you will help us all to be uh, drawn in by the study of your word today. We're thankful for Phil and all that he does for us to uh, prepare lessons each week to help us to think about how we can be better servants in your world. And um, Lord, I'm so thankful for this class and the ways in which so many people here uh, minister during the week through acts of compassion and love and mercy and being a support network for so many people. We're thankful for the Month of Muncie Church. Thank you for the leadership here, and I pray that you will bless each, uh, each person on staff as they minister to kids and to young adults and married couples and people who are hurting and homeless and um, just so many things that this church does. We're just uh, thankful for them and ask that you give them the strength and the courage and the, uh, the stamina to do the things that they have to do each week. And we just pray that you will help us to, uh, to be salt and light in all that we, uh, in all that we do and um, help us to do all things for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I thought, gosh, if I had a screen, I might like to use something. Um, but I get really complicated. Like we'd have to close the blinds, we'd have to hook a computer up, and I'd have to know how to do all that. And if it didn't work, then what would I do, right? Um, but we'll think about that. Maybe, yeah. Do we know what they did with the cabinet that Wallace made? Do we know what they did with the cabinet that Wallace? They just disappeared. Yeah. Somebody probably liked it. Uh, yeah, we should inquire. Maybe ask Doug or somebody. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Somebody probably had their eye on it for a while. Uh, a it's good to have Angie back. Yeah, welcome back, Angie. We've missed you. We continue to grieve with you, alongside of you. I have an announcement I'm supposed to make, and I know this is not the announcement time, but if you have my memory, you just have to make it when you remember it. <laughs> and uh, I had like three people tell me, I mean, Liz emailed me this announcement this week, and she told like three other people to remind me. Um, 
So I don't know if that's a commentary on me or the commentary on the people that she told to remind me. She thought, well, maybe one out of three of them will remind me. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, here's the announcement, and that is um, a week from Tuesday, that's April the 3rd, that's the Tuesday after Easter, um, Judy Ingala is going to be honored at Millican College as one of our leaders in Christian service. So that, uh, that program begins at 11 o'clock in the morning in Seeger Chapel. Um, some of you will remember that Wayne Anderson was so honored uh, several years ago, and I'm embarrassed. There's probably others of you in here who may have been too, and if so, I'm, please don't hate me for that. Um, I'm lucky that I remembered all of this so far. Um, but it's a lovely ceremony. There are several people in the, in the community who are honored that day, and Judy is one of them, and we're uh, proud uh, that she'll be honored that day. So we usually have a, a good Muncie contingent uh, that morning, so if you're available Tuesday, uh, April the 3rd at 11 o'clock in Seeger Chapel on the campus of Milliken College, we'd love to have you join us as we honor uh, Judy for her service uh, in the community. So it's Palm Sunday, and we've been sojourning during Lent in the Lament Psalms, um, which are in many ways not some of our favorite psalms, not, not our most familiar psalms. Um, the last three weeks we particularly focused on three of what are some, of the seven uh, so-called penitential psalms. Um, they're all laments, and we've talked a little bit about the lament form of the psalm, and that they um, that these are part important part of the the prayer book uh, and the hymn book, if you will, of the church. Uh, the Psalter has, for literally thousands of years, um, been the the hymn book first of the the Jewish people. And it's not insignificant that the, the church picked up this. Uh, we, we have uh, uh, these hymns, these songs, these psalms. Um, and as we mentioned the first week in Hebrew, the word for this book is praises. And, and even, even the laments, at least most of them, although not all, uh, most of them, uh, even when they begin with these crying out, these deep, plaintive cries to God, these uh, bold laments, uh, move towards praise by the time they're done. And so today we're, we're going to focus on a different lament. Uh, it's not one of the penitential psalms, but it is one of the uh, lament psalm. It's probably the most familiar lament psalm. If you only knew one lament psalm, uh, this is probably the one that you know. And it's one that's appointed for Holy Week. Uh, and it's Psalm 22. Um, lots of churches will be reading it today and they'll also be reading it again on Holy Friday, on Good Friday. Most of you are familiar with it because the opening verses of Psalm 22 are the words of Jesus from the cross. 
some of the words of Jesus from the cross. And so that's, it's interesting that Jesus himself, at his point of, of greatest need, uh, his most maybe intense suffering, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, uh, from the cross, turns to these words, uh, from these opening words of Psalm 22. Um, in fact, that they are in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew, they are the last words of Jesus from the cross before he dies. And so, but we turn to them today, um, not first of all, um, because it's Palm Sunday, Holy Week, uh, but because we want to look at them uh, as they would have been heard and understood uh, by the Jewish people, by the Hebrew people, and, and see why. <laughs> um, rather, than, rather than them having importance for us today, first of all, I, mean, I don't want to minimize that Jesus used them. We'll get to that. Um, but why did Jesus use them? Right? Why, I mean, they must have been important words to Jesus if these are the words that he reached for. Right? What does that tell us about this psalm, that this is what Jesus reached for? These are the words uh, that come from Jesus' lips right before he dies. To remind ourselves, I mean, this is um, Palm Sunday, um, one of the beautiful traditions of the church, um, at least much of the church, most of you know this, is the, the palms that we, the palms that we wave today in worship, uh, are saved and then burnt, right? And those ashes are the ashes that are used on the following next year, uh, on Ash Wednesday. Okay, case you, some of you didn't know that. I can tell by the murmurs in the classroom, <laughs> right? That. That right there, that simple gesture is full of theological weight, right? Uh, it reminds us, uh, in, in Ryan's words this morning, I know how fickle human beings can be, that, uh, that those who would welcome Jesus um, singing Hosanna, save us, uh, are also the ones who enter into this season of preparation uh, where we're reminded that, uh, as we mentioned last week, that we, we are God's creatures who um, are also in rebellion, um, who can uh, on one day say, save us, turn to God, and also many other times turn away from God uh, and go our own way. So be reminded that those, if you see palm branches around today, we'll be collecting those and uh, saving those for next year. So think about that maybe next year when uh, someone makes the sign of the cross on your forehead with those ashes. Um, those come from someplace, and um, it's a good reminder. So let's look at Psalm 22. We're not going to uh, we're not going to do the whole psalm today. Um, we're going to do part of the psalm today, and we're going to do part of the psalm next week on Easter, which might seem kind of odd to you. Um, 
I'm hoping it's going to seem odd to you. I've been thinking for a couple months, like, what am I going to do on Easter? Um, we're not going to have an Easter egg hunt, so what are we going to do? Um, we're going to... We're going to look at the second half of Psalm 22. That's not all we're going to do, but we are going to we are going to finish the psalm. Um, so, if those of you who are clock watchers and you're thinking he's never going to get through this psalm, which that wouldn't surprise you, um, I'm not even going to try. But I am going to try to get through most of the first 21 verses, okay, of Psalm 22. So you'll notice um, you'll not. If you're listening carefully, and I know all of you do listen carefully, but at, I should say, as you're listening carefully, um, the gospel writers uh, pick up on more than one allusion to Psalm 22. If you're if you're listening carefully, as you're listening carefully, keep slipping here. As you're listening carefully, um, see if you hear other echoes uh, from. Uh, Jesus on the cross and that whole drama as you hear of uh, this read. I'm going to do what I usually do. is I'm going to read the first 21 verses just so you can kind of catch the whole thing. And then we'll go back and kind of move through it a little more closely. Just to remind you, I mean, laments, um, if you've been here, we know that they're these sort of bold cries to God. Um, they're not always polite um, they're not always polite, and they remind us, and not just remind us, they, I want to say they give us permission. These psalms, by being in the canon of Scripture, give us permission to come before God raw. Uh, just completely transparent. Uh, we don't have to sort of, uh, you know, pretty it up. We don't have to sanitize our language, we don't have to domesticate it, we don't have to pretty it up. Um, we can come before God pretty raw, and, and we've looked at some psalms that do that. And so I want us to be reminded of that, that there's something a little accusatory, uh, which is pretty bold, right? Um, a lot of us have maybe thought accusatory things about God. We might have wanted to accuse God of abandoning us. Um, one, of the, one of the psalms you know, tells God, like, wake up. Like, you're clearly asleep. Like, wake up and do what you're supposed to do. Okay. Um, most of us would hesitate to do that. And yet, as we suggested the last several weeks, this, that itself is not uh, an act of unfaithfulness. That is precisely an act of faithfulness. Because it's addressed to God. Right? As long as you're addressing God, then you're, then you're still in relationship. It's when you turn away and start telling other people why you've left God, then, then that's a different thing. But as long as you're addressing your deepest anguish, your deepest sense of abandonment, your, your deepest questions, as long as you're addressing them to God, that continues to be an act of faith. And that's something that the Psalter can teach us. So hear these, these words from Psalm 22. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads and say, Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, be not far away. O oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. It's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Um, I mean, it's it's a psalm. It's a it's poetry. It's it's a song. Um, but the the psalmist doesn't doesn't hold back. And as is often, if not almost always, the case uh, with the lament psalms, we we don't know exactly what the psalmist was experiencing. But we do, we can tell, it's something um, pretty desperate. Something pretty desperate here. Such that the psalmist can admit to God that the psalmist feels completely abandoned by God. I don't presume to know if you've ever felt completely abandoned by God. 
but you very well may have. And if you have, you, you are in good company. You are in good company. And yet the psalmist has, has the faith uh, to direct this complaint, to direct this lament to God. I mean, there, there's something, there's almost a tension here in these opening words, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, the psalmist feels abandoned. And yet, the psalmist addresses that feeling of abandonment to the very one who he's accusing of being abandoned by. Right? So there's a tension there. I mean, the psalmist knows something's not right. That there's this deep sense of abandonment and yet still has, I really want to call it courage, still has the faith in God to address that sense of abandonment to the very one who has abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Have you ever cried out to God, and all you got was silence? Just silence. Again, if you have, and you probably have, you're in good company. What's unusual about this psalm is the way that the psalmist toggles back and forth between these desperate cries, these plaintive laments, and the way in which the psalmist addresses God to talk about um, why, to, to appeal to certain things about the relationship between God, this covenant between God and the people of God, to try to, almost as if as a way to motivate God to come to the aid of the psalmist. So it, it's not simply that the psalmist cries out and says, you've abandoned me. But the psalmist sort of says, and, but you're not that kind of God. Right? You're not the kind of God to just go silent. You're not the kind of God. At least that's not what I thought. Notice what this sort of corporate sense in verses 3 through 5 after this cry at the beginning. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. 
And so here the psalmist sort of looks back at the history and is reminded that you were a God who saved, who delivered us. So, like, where are you? <laughs> I mean, it, it's sort of double-edged, right? It's On the one hand, it acknowledges God's faithfulness, but it does so in a way that also seems like it's, it's reaching out to God to say, hey, I, I know who you are. Um, we know who you are. You are the God who called us out of Egypt, who saved us, who delivered us, our ancestors. We have been in covenant relationship with you. So act on my behalf. Hear me. You, you are that kind of God. Our ancestors cried out to you trusted in you, and you delivered them. But I, right, you did this for them, but I, I am a worm and not human. Scorned by others and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and shake their heads and say, commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. You hear echoes of Jesus on the cross there, right? Right? Uh, hey, Jesus, where, where's that God? Look, let, let, let God deliver you. You don't look, it don't look like much now. And this is what this, the psalmist is feeling, that whatever he's experiencing, and it clearly is some type of... Um, physical issue. It's not just mental problem he's got here, but there's something and people are mocking him. People are mocking him. As we've mentioned before, you know, it wasn't unusual in that day to think that you could sort of read off from people's lives right? how God felt about you. If things were going well, then God was blessing you and if you're like Job and your life's falling apart, then, hey, Job, you've clearly done something. Like, own up to it. And you get the sense here that this, this psal the psalmist is being mocked by people who are saying, look, you know, look, they mock you, shake their heads, and just say, hey, you know, how about you call out to that God? Right, who's supposed to deliver you? Where's the God now? Then he turns back, right, after acknowledging God's faithfulness to the people and using it as kind of appeal, like you've been our God forever. And where are you now? I'm not even human. Right? I've been reduced to a worm. Then the psalmist says. Now it becomes more personal. It's not just about Israel's. Now it becomes personal about bearing witness to how God had been faithful to the psalmist. Verse 9, Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. 
Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. So the psalmist appeals not just to God's faithfulness to Israel, but also God's faithfulness to him. Like, hey, you, you have been there from my birth. From my birth you were there. And this this very intimate discussion about from, from the time I was taken from the womb, you kept me safe on my mother's breath, breast. Since my mother bore me, you've been my God. And that verse 11 is actually the first time that the, the psalmist actually makes a petition, makes a request. Do not be far from me. Have you ever felt like God was nowhere to be found? Not just silent, but like absent. Um, you keep crying out to God. You get silence. Feels like absence. Psalmist cries out, "Don't, don't be far away from me." That's that's what that's what the psalmist asks. Be present, with the assumption being, if God is present, God will act. I don't think the psalmist is simply saying, be present and console me just by your presence. But I think the psalmist is saying, if you're present, um, you'll act on my behalf. Just as you have to, to Israel across all these generations and the way that you have in my life up till now. Do not be far from me. Well, trouble's near, there's no one to help. Then he goes back to talking about the way he's surrounded by his enemies. And now the, the sort of dehumanizing uh, language uh, returns. Um, he doesn't feel like a man and his enemies are sort of uh, dis discussed as animals, as fierce animals that are threatening him. Many bulls, this is verse 12, many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So all these, all these threats, everyone's dehumanized. And then these, these powerful poetic words about the sort of very physical way in which he is just feels completely uh, distraught and destroyed. 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. There it gets pretty accusatory again. <laughs> right? 
you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. Another echo there, right, of Jesus on the cross. But for the psalmist, it's like he's so close to death that people around him are looking at him and think, you know, he looks like a 40 regular. I think that would fit. <laughs> right? Um, I'm not that old, but when our children gather at home, they're already starting to look around the house and say, I want that. <laughs> or, how are we going to decide who gets that? We all want that. <laughs> it's like, hello, I'm still here. <laughs> Could you at least be polite enough to have that conversation like at night after I'm in bed? <laughs> Do you have to sort of jockey for our stuff? So, as funny as that is here, I mean, here, they're, they're dividing up his stuff. It's like he's, he's on the point of death, you know? Let's roll the dice and see who gets, his, gets this. One more time, a petition, a request from God, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far away. There's that echo of that earlier one, right? Don't be far away. Oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Notice that even though the psalmist feels abandoned, hear, hear the faith in these words that can still address God as, Oh, my help. When the truth is, right now, Honestly, God, you've been no help at all. You've been no help at all. But I can still call you my help. Right. Still addressing this to God. Oh, my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. So still this intense both abandonment and yet willingness to address that abandonment, that sense of abandonment to the one who the psalmist still trusts can come to help, can come and be present, can come and act. Why, why does this matter to us um, as we enter into Holy Week and as we hear these 
these words here, this story, this very familiar story, that again, is so easy for our eyes to glaze over, our ears to go deaf. Um, why does being reminded of these words this week, uh, why is that important, this, this ancient psalm in all its rawness? Seems important, maybe for two reasons. Um, first of all, I think it's, I was reminded again this week in, in thinking through this passage and looking over it and studying it, just how significant it was uh, that the, these words are the words that Jesus turns to. Last words in Mark and Matthew that are on his lips before he dies. And we, we often talk about Jesus, I mean there's a way of talking about Jesus' death that makes his death and his dying and his suffering so very different from what we experience that I think we can sometimes forget that his dying on the cross also is very much like our suffering. So it's true, I, I, in my suffering and in my death, I'm not, you can pull out all the theological arguments you want about Jesus bearing all the sin of the world. That's all true, I'm not bearing that. But Jesus, still on the cross, feels real abandonment. And can, can we, when we were talking about the Apostles' Creed, we said that the first heresy was the heresy not to let Jesus be really human. And here we're back to that. You know, is Jesus really human? The one who dies this week on the cross for us, is he really human? Or is he just really kind of play acting because he knows everything is going to be okay? To me, it's not insignificant that Jesus reaches for these ancient words that any Hebrew would know that are as part of their tradition the words you reach, you reach for when you don't know where God is, where God is silent, where God is absent. Jesus reaches for those words. And in doing so, I think it's a, it's a powerful act of, of solidarity with anyone who's ever felt abandoned by God. And the book of Hebrews says that, that Jesus you know, experienced what we experienced you know, in all things except sin. Even abandonment by God. I think it's important for us to remember that when Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, when Jesus comes and is with us, he even feels, he even knows what it's like to be abandoned by God. 
That's how deeply God has entered into our lot. That the Son of God, who takes on human flesh, can himself feel abandoned by God, can feel the weight of God's silence and absence. The second reason why I think it's important, and this goes for all the lament psalms. Um, we said last week that Lent is kind of a downer. You know, you're talking about sin and, you know, ashes and sackcloth and repentance. And that just seems so counter to our sort of national spirit that wants to be kind of upbeat, positive, class half full kind of people. Um, most of us probably don't turn to the laments. I mean, it's kind of a prayer book. The, the, the Psalms have been a kind of prayer book for the church from the beginning. And, and I worry a little bit that it's sort of, we, we kind of get into the, uh, we use this altar like some of you, I guess all of you are old enough to remember, gosh, it's been, was it the 70s where we had mood rings? No. Gosh, I'm so glad those are not around. <laughs> If you're a young person, you don't know what a mood ring is, ask one of your elders. Um, but you know, and again, I, I'm, I'm treading lightly here, but you know, at times, you know, you can, maybe in the back of your Bible, or the back of the Gideon Bible, it says, you know, if you feel like this, read this. And, and there's a place for that. But honestly, you know, and so you think, well, I don't feel like lamenting today. So why should I feel a lament song? I, I felt pretty good till I came to Sunday school today, and now you've ruined my day. I mean, why'd you gotta do that? I mean, the sun finally came out. It maybe won't snow this Wednesday, and for the first time in forever. And now you gotta like rain on my parade. Like, why can't we just put this put this altar away? And on the day when I feel bad, okay, I'm glad to know it's there. Fair enough. But let me give you this challenge. Maybe it's not about me. Maybe it's not about you. I can guarantee you there are people around the world today that need Psalm 22 prayed. And they don't have the words to pray. Do we dare pray this for them? Even though... I may not be lamenting in my situation today. I mean, we have been given this gift, these really raw words to bring before God. What would it mean to pray these for people who today feel abandoned by God? We offer these words on their behalf because their tongue is sticking to the roof of their mouth. They can't even form words. Might we pray it for them? Let's pray. We give you thanks, O God, for your word, which challenges us, discomforts us, comforts us, 
disorients us. We give you thanks for this gift of the Psalter. We give you thanks that you have given us permission to come before you raw. We give you thanks that we can come to you when we feel the weight of your silence, feel the weight of your absence. This day we offer up these words for those who feel precisely that and ask that you would not be far from them. Father, as we enter this holy week, make us mindful, fill us with gratitude and humility as we reenact and remember the central drama of our faith. May we live more fully into that drama this week and in the days to come. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Amen.